this is what underpins all of cosmetic dentistry is photography and communication. It doesn't matter what you do or don't know. It doesn't matter what you're capable of doing at that point in time. If you have communication under your belt, you can do anything. There's a magic number that everyone has that um, they feel confidence in and anything above that number your voice suddenly drops and you get really quiet and you, you can't actually communicate what, what you're talking about. It was difficult for me to talk about anything above two grand to someone. It was a struggle to, for me to think about paying $2,000, let alone expecting $2,000 from someone else. Practice in front of a mirror and practice saying bigger numbers, practicing $10,000 with confidence. Practicing 20,000 with confidence. Look me dead in the eye and say $50,000 with confidence. CPD Junkie Dental Podcast is about connecting with passionate Australian dentists who are improving themselves and have attended various CPD courses. My aim is to find out for you the best CPD courses around and what they did to help get them to where they are today. So you can consider doing it and becoming the best dentist you can be quicker. Hi, CPD Junkie fam. I'm your host, Dr. Lawrence Stone, and today we're joined by Dr. Vanilla Chunderu. He graduated from Adelaide in 2017. He started his career in rural Victoria and Melbourne. Um, and at the height of Melbourne lockdowns, he decided he wanted to move to SA, where he has continued his clinical practice since. Vanilla has experienced both ends of the mentorship spectrum and aims to be a jack of all trades by CPD in all fields of dentistry and a mentor for anyone willing to listen. Currently, he practices and centers around orthodontics, uh, wisdom tooth surgery, full mouth rehabilitations, and non-surgical periodontal debridements. Dr. Vanil, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? So, full disclosure, me and Dr. Vanil graduated in the same cohort in Adelaide. So, at one point, he was actually the AUDSS community aid executive officer, and I was his subcommittee member, you know, but have there been much community work since then? Uh, oh, 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 got to pull my, uh, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I try to um, take on as many uh, public cases as I can, and um, teaching is kind of my way of giving back now. Um, so uh, work at the university part-time, that's only half a day for a week but also do a lot of mentorship outside of the university so that's that's kind of my community approach for now but eventually I do want to make uh, make some time and go overseas and um, if you recall we did the trivia for Timor uh, event uh, for, for a couple of years and um, I really really want to go overseas and volunteer as part of that project and um, yeah we'll, we'll see how we go. We definitely dive into some of those um, roles that you just talked about so tell us about your CPD or dental journey so far. Um, so it's it's pretty much kind of all over the place. Uh, um, a lot of it has more to do with uh, clinical experience and just having really, really good mentors uh, throughout my career, as opposed to a very specific CPD. I've only recently started to streamline on CPD and how I, I kind of approach that. Um, so, you know, in terms of mentors, I've got, you know, my, my brother, which you, you guys would already be aware of, Dr. Shravan Chandur. Previous guest on our show, yes. And uh, career leader in terms of prosthodontics and uh, Rempros in particular, but, you know, just about anything and everything and a very humble human being. And uh, um, I'm not at all biased when it comes to my brother, not at all. Um, 
Um, and then, of course, there's uh, Sam Co as well, who I only worked briefly with for about six months, but um, absolutely uh, influential, uh, huge, huge part of uh, my career growth, and more currently um, and recently, um, Michael Frazes, who I work with at Semaphore Dental. Um, I know I kind of went off topic. Your question was about CPD. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's 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 go into it because obviously we're we're there now. Okay, so pros. Um, when did that kind of come about with your brother being, you know, being a prosthodontist? Like, was that from the get go? Like, you know, for our listeners because they won't know about this. Is it what happened? Was that you got you graduated and you're like, okay, I need some help with pros. I'm gonna go to my brother and he's gonna help me out. Uh, it was more like he kind of uh, got me into, he helped me uh, consider dentistry as an option right from the start. So he was very much a part of um, my dental career from first year uni. Um, so uh, I don't consider my, uh, myself an expert in pros in any way, shape or form. Um, I Doesn't think it just are, happen through osmosis that you just absorb it? Well, actually, the funny thing is, uh, back when he was a dental student, um, whenever he needed to revise for any kind of uh, exams or anything like that, he'd call me up and he'd start teaching me uh, random stuff. And at the time, uh, I had absolutely zero interest in dentistry. So I'm sitting here going, oh, God, more teeth. Why? What have I done in my life? Um, but it just turned out to be really, really useful knowledge in the future when I did go into dentistry. Um, so even now, if I do come across a denture case or a TMD case that I just really don't know what I'm doing, uh, he's pretty much uh, right at the top of the list of people that I, I call straight away to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So, okay. I'll, I'll backtrack it for us, for our listeners. So basically you graduate, right? You end up in rural on Victoria, right? At this yeah. point, how are you picking your courses to, to commute, you know, on all of that? Uh, great thing is like you're in Victoria. So that's a place where there's a lot of CPD. So how do you guys go picking your courses? Um, at the time, um, I didn't have a proper system in place. So I was just uh, doing whatever would get my hours up. So that was a lot of the ADA, VB, uh, free CPD hours. Um, that was online you're talking about right now, like online CPD? Yeah. Uh, online, yeah. Um, that was attending the uh, a conference in, in Melbourne. That was attending a couple of endodontic le lectures because I felt like I didn't really know enough about rotary. Um, if you recall, it was very, very hard to get a hold of the uh, rotary unit in, in the ADH. So yeah. very few of us got any uh, experience as, as a student. Um, it was a matter of just going for, you know, just that. I, I didn't really think about it. I didn't think about the topics. I was purely after, let's get the hours, let's just go uh, either on the computer or go into the city and just max out the hours. And genuinely, I felt like as far as CPD goes, uh, the first year was a little bit of a waste um, because I didn't uh, take that opportunity to, to learn and to keep myself up to date. It did mean that I was uh, spending a lot of time regional and rural just practicing dentistry non-stop so uh you know i'd be practicing uh nine or ten hours a day four days a week wow. so a lot of clinical experience uh, a lot of clinical practice uh, but as far as cpd journey goes uh, not the not the most useful 
I think what was really useful though was that um, I can't remember the oral surgeon's name, which is terrible. Um, but there was a guy who who moved to Aubrey Wodonga and he was an absolutely amazing oral surgeon. And so one to two days a week, I'd actually drive up to Aubrey Wodonga and just spend the whole day um, in surgical theater with him, assisting and and just yeah, learning. Um, face-to-face as opposed to through controlled CPD hours. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to, you know, for them to talk about it, but it's another thing to actually see them and actually either apply it or in, in my, my experience is like, you see, like they come across complications potentially, or like something that doesn't go accordingly and you see how they deviate and how they manage that. And then, you know, that's something that unless you're there, you won't know. Exactly. And uh, the funny thing is, the only cases that uh, ever came across his lap were when a general dentist uh, either went out of their scope or was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a struggle town kind of case that needed the assistance of an oral surgeon, right? So it you don't usually send your uh, standard 311s over to, a, to an oral surgeon. Um, as a result, it means that all I was ever the scene were you know management of complications which was again absolutely fantastic and the main stepping stone I needed to to gain confidence in doing uh, wisdom tooth surgery myself so you're saying you're wisdom tooth you know since expert now no no <laughs> no never absolutely never well I mean what did it teach you I mean like obviously there's there's a point where, you know, you have to transition from seeing what's happening to applying, you know, what you, you know. Um, so because he was the only oral surgeon in a 100-kilometer uh, radius uh, to, to my clinics, um, it meant that a lot of my cases were being referred off or my colleagues' cases were being referred um, off to him. So it meant that there was an opportunity for me to be involved in the surgery as well. Um, so more often than not, if I did feel like it was a tricky extraction, I'd say, Hey, look, did you want to do this under GA with an oral surgeon, um, supervising and nine times out of 10, the patient's going to be like, yeah, heck yeah. Um, so that meant that I could go to him with these cases and in, uh, in a, you know, surgical theater setting do these extractions while having the hands of a OMFS right next to me to bail me out or to, to assist in any way, or just to point in the right direction. Not just a little bit more here, truck a little bit more here, uh, luxate a little bit more, make sure that you're aiming at, you know, putting it in this direction. He told me how to do oral antral communication closure. So, you know, doing a double soft tissue closure, how to drag out the buccal fatty pad and suture it onto the palate. Um, so, not that I've had to use those skills in, in years, but if it ever comes up, I know what to do. Yeah, cool. So that's how you are training and you're improving on your wisdom teeth um, management and complications of oral surgery. I mean, does that stop there? Like, obviously, you mentioned orthodontics, full mouth rehabilitation, non-surgical perio. How do we kind of dive into that and when does that happen? Um, so with the non-surgical career, again, that's not so much of a, of a CPD journey as opposed to more of a clinical experience journey. Um, when I first joined up with, uh, in my first clinic and also when I joined up with Sanco, um, the question uh, came across like, Hey, do you like perio? Um, and me being me, I said, I don't mind. 
Um, as far as everyone else was concerned, that's great. You're now the perio expert. We're going to chuck every single perio case at you. So with very little experience, it meant that I just had to level up really, really quickly um, as I'm doing all these non-surgical root developments. Um, so I ended up kind of developing my own um, uh, clinical practice and clinical workflow. Um, and most recently, when I attended uh, Leo Lander's Noble Perio course, that was a really lovely little confirmation or uh, affirmation that my workflow is very similar, if not the same, as that of a specialist. But yeah, that's a little bit of a tangent there. Um, <laughs> but effectively, with, with the non-surgical uh, perio departments, that's just purely clinical practice and not, uh, every other dentist uh, saying, seeds, I can't be stopped doing it it's on you yeah and i mean is there a reason why you maybe would have stopped at non-surgical like are you considering surgical at the moment or is you're happy with how everything is at the moment so i mean ultimately i i still feel like a specialist is uh, going to be better than me or a, a hygienist um who do, does you know uh debridements day in day out is still going to be better than me um so I kind of limit myself to, you know, those kind of uh, cases where, you know, a hygienist may say, hey, I think you need to see a specialist and they refuse to see a specialist. Then I'll step in and say, OK, I'll give it a go with no really promises or guarantees and see if if that helps to reduce the situation. If it doesn't, then at least we've tried everything in-house. And then in terms of the surgical uh, periodibrightments, I feel more comfortable referring those out. Um, eventually, I do want to uh, have that kind of confidence. But again, it's one of those things where I haven't done any formal courses or CPD for. So that's something that I would like to look at in the future, for sure. Okay. So you're at Sanco's practice. I mean, does orthodontics kind of come up or, you know, full mouth rehabilitation kind of come up? Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, the main reason why I'm in ortho. Um, he's, he's the main reason for a lot of things. So, um, if things panned out the way I planned things to plan out, I would be just doing either community-based dentistry or uh, just working in uh, full-time public, um, serving the community and, uh, happy with that and not doing anything else. Um, and, and then I worked for Sam and Sam, he, he pushes for everything. Um, and he looked at me and he's like, do you want to be a cosmetic dentist? So I'm like, uh, sure. his, his answer was yes, 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 you do. The, that's the only answer I'll accept. I'm like, fine, fine. Um, and I remember talking to a couple of other dentists, uh, while I was working for Samco and every single one of them said, Hey, look, you work for the guy who teaches orthodontists how to do ortho, whether or not you like it, you're in the prime position and opportunity to learn. And if you don't, you're going to regret the, regret your, all of this later. So naturally, uh, when Sam asked me, do you want to learn clear correct? Do you want to learn clear aligners? There was only a, one answer that was acceptable. Yes. <laughs> um, I learned clear aligners and I, I learned how to uh, do clear aligners from Sam himself. And he was absolutely fantastic as a clinical mentor himself because he would throw his cases at me you know, uh, from start, middle to finish. 
um, and cases that required some troubleshooting like bootstrapping or anything else, um, he threw those at me as well, just so that I could actually uh, absorb it all and learn it all. Even during that short uh, six month stint that I was working for him, uh, it meant that I could take on a case start to finish, uh, no problems, no worries, uh, without any real assistance, if need be. Um, what also happened was uh, the inspiration to then take on fixed author, because me being me, I, I don't really have that much of an appetite for risk. And so, so I wanted to at least have the ability to chuck on some brackets if need be, if teeth don't track the way we want them to. Um, as we know, the software is uh, very optimistic at the best of times. Um, so I, uh, you know, I turned to him and I said, okay, which fixed uh, author course should I go for? Um, and this is a man who's done both POS and EODO. And he said, all right, cool. Um, looking at you, specific me, Daniel, hello. <laughs> um, now looking at you, you're, you're the kind of person that needs uh, textbook uh, orthodontics first before you learn contemporary. I'm like, yep, that sounds right. So he threw me in the direction of POS. So I've been doing that for the last uh, two years. And uh, I feel like I've gone off track at some point. No, you haven't. You haven't. You're still talking about your orthodontic journey, how now you're in the realm of fix when you initially started out removable. Because you got to understand, a lot of our listeners who are recent graduates, you know, when they come out, they hear about re um, clear aligners. They hear about, you know, oh, I don't want to, they're hearing about Invisalign or of that sort. And that's what the patient's coming in asking for. And so yeah. naturally yeah. they gravitate towards clear aligners first um, as opposed to traditional fixed orthodontics. I mean, yeah. now that you're, you started out that path and in an environment where you've had that support, I mean, is it interesting enough that, you know, you're still considering the fixed option? Like, I think that for listeners is going to be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really strange. I mean, it, I started off doing fixed just as just as a in case clear liners doesn't work out, and now having fin uh, finished the majority of the course and uh, taken on a couple of cases, um, my my entire mindset's just flipped, and now it's kind of like, oh, if you know, if we do this in fixed, easy. This is easy as heck. If you want me to do this in clear aligners, oh, that's when it's going to get a bit trickier. So um, having that kind of a foundational knowledge and understanding of, of the clinical outcome has really helped to determine and dictate the fact that um, and consolidate what everyone tells you, uh, what the orthodontists already tell you, which is that, you know, fixed, um, there's, a, there's a lot that can be achieved. Now, that being said, uh, clear aligners is, is an emerging technology and that's always changing. So naturally, a lot of people are now coming out and saying that you can achieve just as much, if not more, with clear aligners. But it's a matter of understanding the biomechanics of moving teeth uh, that can allow for you to achieve what you want to achieve with clear aligners. And at least in my limited training knowledge and experience, fixed seems to be the easiest way of shifting teeth in a fair controlled enough. way anyways yeah fair enough i mean so what would your advice be to give to someone who's just starting their dental education in particular in this case orthodontics would you say dive into fix first or just say actually no it's okay if you're in the right environment just start off with you know clear aligners i mean 
by all means, if you want to stick to clear aligners, stick to clear aligners because it is a uh, it is like jumping down a rabbit hole when you when you start looking at fixed. It uh, you know two years on, I I feel like I know nothing. Um, so <laughs> Full disclaimer. Uh, just, sorry. Full disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, the, the, it's the whole Dunning Kruger effect. The more you know, the less you know, right? Um, so, I, it, yeah. Uh, um, once I finish POS, um, I have no doubts in my mind that I'm gonna start doing EODR. And once I finish EODR, then I'll go through whatever courses there are available through Jeff Hall's AuthorEd. So I'm I'm planning on doing the whole shebang, <laughs> uh, just not all at the same time. There's there's so much information to take on. Um, no, I was just saying. So obviously, you know, you're in the mindset that okay, Dr. Vanil, you're a cosmetic dentist. Cosmetic dentistry isn't just removal, um, um, color alignment, sorry. So no. what, I mean, there's other aspects, you know, there's composite veneers, there's whitening. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you go about in that realm? Um, before I jump into that, to answer the question about, um, you know, the new graduates um, taking on clear aligners, um, take on clear aligners, but make sure that you do a really, really comprehensive of course, don't just do a one or two day weekend course and think that you're ready to do clear aligners because there is just so many limitations. You need to know how to send back and how to uh, truly analyze um, the clean checks that are being sent back to you, how to best instruct your, your um, technicians how, um, to deliver the result that you're after and how to... Um, manipulate the the plastic or the the material uh, as best as possible to your advantage and that's not something that can easily be covered in 48 hours mm -hmm. anyways so yeah that's that what you did? i mean would you say that i mean some people would argue you know that i'm happy to do you know a couple of weekends as opposed to just one weekend what would you say to that um, they're not they kind of want to feel it they want to feel out the water if this is something they want to go into are you saying that i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth but you know correct me if i'm wrong though like are you saying look you can't just do dabble in it you actually have to fully commit to something comprehensive before you make that judge judgment i mean have cases just be really, really picky and have someone that you can at least run those cases by, whether it's your uh, the regular orthodontist that you refer to or, uh, um, or a mentor that you can trust and has a fair bit of experience with clear aligners. Run, a, run those cases by them just to make sure that it is something within the realm of simple, straightforward, just aligning a couple of front teeth or closing some diastasis or something like that. Yeah, because like you got to understand like a lot of, graduates come out they're like i want to learn ortho i want to learn implants i want to learn it all really quickly and just do it all right and for them it's kind of like sometimes like you alluded to sometimes you might not have someone there to help you but it's like i really want to learn it how do i implement it and you know there's so many clear aligners out there how do i pick one you know that actually brings up a point i always get a little bit annoyed whenever someone says i don't have a mentor I don't have someone to uh, run cases by. Um, if you have a referral network, you have mentors. You have it's it's just because you don't have someone next to you or in your clinic 
doesn't mean that you don't have access to mentors. You had clinical tutors uh, that you relied on uh, when you were a student and uh, professors. And I'm pretty sure they would still be very, very happy to take your emails and to look at your clinical records and to give you some advice or feedback on them. Um, and again, going back to the referral network, most specialists are really, really happy to guide uh, new graduate general dentists in the right direction because they don't want to, they don't want you to be sending crappy records with uh, crappy cases with, you know, just, just, yeah, um, they, they don't want crap being sent to them. They want good cases, good records, good everything. Um, and the easiest and the best way to do that is to uh, make sure that the general dentist that's referring to them actually knows what they're doing. So um, just like with uh, my first year out, I went to the oral surgeon. Um, he didn't approach me. He didn't say, hey, do you want to come observe uh, cases with me? I went to him and said, hey, I don't know enough about oral surgery. And there are so many farmers coming to me wanting these really broken down teeth out ASAP help. Yeah, no, I hear you very loud and clear. So um, to answer your question, to answer the question, yeah, I mean, amongst other things, mentors is one aspect, you've addressed it. The other one is, you know, how do I decide to pick amongst the aligners? Um, because there's so many different ones out there. Uh, how do you pick aligners? Um, they're, they're all much of a muchness. They all have a different, they do have slight differences, but in terms of the principles, they're all fairly similar. Pick one and just um, pick one that uh, maybe your mentors or the, the people that you're, you're running cases by uses. So that way there's a little bit of familiarity in terms of manipulating the software. Sure. So let's let's dive back into you being a cosmetic dentist, Dr. Vanille. How what other aspects are you kind of what other things are you kind of learning on top of the, the aligners? Um whitening, um, again, that's a Sam Coe thing. He he looked at me and said, Have you ever whitened teeth before? This was when I first started with him. I looked at him blankly. I'm like, um, no. The, there was uh, one uh, module in, in fourth year or fifth year, that was about it. And so he's like, oh, cool. Um, and he booked me out for the next two weeks with all of his in-chair whitening. I mean, it was really convenient for him to, to have someone to do that, to throw all those cases onto and free up his books. But it also meant a lot of clinical experience for me in terms of just smashing through uh, a lot of in-chair whitening, talking about the risks and complications, a lot of people coming back uh, because I didn't put the uh, gingival barrier on properly with uh, ulceration <laughs> gingiva, um, a lot of sensitivity in managing that as well, and just being able to communicate very quickly and efficiently how to how to do all of that. So that was whitening. In terms of resin veneers, um, that's when I, so again, uh, I, there's so much that I have Sam to thank for. So his name is going to come up a lot. Um, he's the one who's actually started making me a lot more picky and choosy about what kind of CPD I do. Um, and as you may know, he used to run a young dentist hub um, and he ran quite a few uh, kind of CPD programs and seminars and all the rest of it. So he uh, was not only a speaker, but he was an organizer for uh, quite a bit. And so he basically said, well, you work for me now, so you're going to attend all of the CPD. Um, so a lot of it had Four, to do three. with... <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I, I had to work my rear off, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 
for free on paper. <laughs> More in-chair winding sessions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, help with uh, logistics and organizing, yeah. Yeah, um, but no, it was, it was um, uh, went to a lot of courses about uh, resin veneers, about uh, injection molding, about um, uh, layering composites. Uh, what's her name? Uh, RL uh, Hailey Castillo. Um, she she does a lot on on resin veneers, so I, I learned a lot from her. And again, Sanko himself, he used to almost entirely do um, resin veneers, uh, even though he uh, his porcelain work was really good. He still did a lot of resin veneers. And if you look um, early on uh, through his Instagram page, it's almost entirely resin veneer work. So again, anytime I got a cancellation or an FTA, I was just in his room watching and observing and reapplying those same uh, principles. And, you know, um, he really, really forced me to work on my photography so that I could come back to him and report to him at the end of every day or every week and just go through every case. And then he'd go through burr angulation. He'd go through the, uh, the list of different um, softlex discs that he'd work his way through in terms of polishing, how he'd actually create uh, the secondary and tertiary uh, anatomy on those teeth. Um, he really created, uh, he really gave me um, the the tools for critical thinking so that I could look at a case and go, okay, that's why that tooth looks a little bit shoddy or, uh, or funky. Um, and the key thing that he really, really gave me, and this is what underpins all of uh, cosmetic dentistry, is photography and communication. He would... Um, he would really, really, really push that point. And now to me, that's the most critical thing. Um, it doesn't matter what you don't, uh, or what you do or don't know. It doesn't matter what you're capable of doing at that point in time. If you have communication under your belt, you can do anything. Yeah. Uh, I, that being said, please, please make sure that you have clinical experience and you, you go to the appropriate CBD and training before you, you attempt um, any funky business, don't don't place implants without any CBD. Do it ethically. Do it ethically. Yeah, do it ethically. So let's talk about, okay, so communication, did you do any particular courses on it? Or was it more just him kind of directing you, kind of educating you, you know, on how to communicate better? Um, he gave me a lot. So for me, th there's a lot that can be said about communication. So for me, um, I, I so a little bit of backstory. I don't come from, you know, an affluent family or anything. I would say uh, our family was um, either below or just at the average uh, income level. Um, so for me, when I first started talking about expensive dentistry and big numbers, there's all, this is what Sam said, there's a magic number that everyone has that um, they feel confidence in and anything above that number your voice suddenly drops and you get really quiet and you, you can't actually communicate what, what you're talking about. Um, and so, you know... There's not he... an ASMR video for our listeners, but yes, here we <laughs> Well, I mean, like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to, but... Um, <laughs> so, I mean, even he had a number at the time and I, I can't recall his number, but mine was quite low. So when I started with him, my magic number was $2,000. If a treatment plan was less than $2,000, which is very kind of basic dental, I could bring out that number easy and, uh, you know, I'd talk to you about uh, your treatment options and your plan and how we're going to go about things. 
the moment it jumped above 2000, my voice got really quiet and you could actually tell body language and everything. I would shrink back from my chair. It was difficult for me to talk about anything above two grand to someone. I, it was a struggle to, for me to think about paying $2,000, let alone expecting $2,000 from someone else. Um, and so one of the very first things that he kind of pushed towards was, um, you know, practice in front of a mirror um, and practice saying bigger numbers, practicing $10,000 with confidence, practicing $20,000 with confidence. Look, look me dead in the eye and say $50,000 with confidence. Um, so that was number one. And that, again, this was advice that was more specific to me. So it's, it's uh, not advice for everyone. It was tailored advice for someone who struggled with large sums of money, or struggled to communicate large sums of money. In terms of uh, communication CPD, um, one that he recommended was Prime Speak, but to take that with a grain of salt because it can be more about... Uh, it can be portrayed, portrayed or construed as more about money making as opposed to actually communicating um, uh, treatment plans. Uh, he himself did a lot of CPD, ran a lot of CPD on communication, and he ran a, a communication symposium with him, uh, with a couple of people from Prime Mouth, I believe, uh, from uh, John Hagliasis, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, from Aorta, from Chidham Capel. Uh, Capel? Yeah. Um, um, and oh, that was uh, one other fella. Um, so he had people from, uh, you know, various uh, organizations come together and talk about communication. Was it Fatty Yasmin, was it? Sorry? Was it Fatty Yasmin? Yeah, it was Fatty. Yeah, it was, it was Fatty. Yeah. Um, so, and and the, the key principles from that were stuff that he was nagging me from D dot from, from day one that I joined up with him. And that was being confident with the numbers, being uh, confident with photography. So he installed massive TV screens, like ridiculously huge screens, um, and installed them in front of each dental chair in his, in his two-chair practice, just so that we could upload a photo and chuck it on onto the big screen. Uh, so there's no way a patient could look away from, from their own oral condition. Um, so it was about, you know, using dental photography. It was about pointing everything out. And the other key bit of advice that he gave me that, um, uh, again, this is probably more specific to me than to, to, uh, uh, to the general uh, public of dentists is um, treating patients like you would your family. Now, everyone loves using that tagline of, yeah, I would, um, uh, I treat my patients the same way I treat my family. We, we all say uh, at an interview, but question is, one, do we mean it? And two, do we actually know what that means? Um, I, I mean it. I really, really genuinely in my heart meant it, but I didn't really understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you know, tre treating uh, your patients as your family, again, going back to the uh, issue of not being able to present expensive treatment plans to patients meant that if a patient needed three or four full gold crowns, uh, you know, that, that was the most ideal uh, treatment plan. Um, you know, if it was my mom, uh, I'd do it straight away and I'd, I'd take care of the costs or whatever it would be. Um, but for a stranger, I would struggle to say five or six grand, you know? 
So I'd shy away from that that treatment plan without meaning to, you know, unintentionally with the body language that I'd be uh, using or with the tone of voice that would suddenly go really, really quiet. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's where, you know, Sam really pointed out. So treating your patients like your family means that you don't look at the budget, you don't look at the finance, you genuinely, you genuinely, you generate a treatment plan that's the most ideal, and then you work backwards, and then you give the patient the option. And it seems so simple, and it seems so basic, but it was just, that's that's absolutely what's fundamental, and that's what I'm, I'm still seeing um happening um with with uh, dental students nowadays as well with the fifth years uh that i um tutor they're still shying away from these expensive treatment plans which even in a public setting are considered the more expensive options um because they're afraid of the that patients can't afford something or it's it's too invasive for a patient but if it was for their mother, they wouldn't hesitate. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great point to bring up. So, I mean, at this point, you're you're a cosmetic dentist, Dr. Vanille here, okay, in in Victoria. But you decide you're gonna uproot everything and move to Adelaide. Uh, yeah, um, lockdowns was fun. <laughs> Um, so when I was working with Sam, um, I lived in Glen Waverley and Sam's practice was in Taylor's Lakes. So that's, uh, hour and a half on a good day, but usually two hours, uh, uh driving one way. Um, so You're I was already kind of- basically living in the car, eh? You're basically living in the car. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I was already kind of uh, considering um, uh, dropping my my days um, at Sam and he was kind of considering the same. And uh, I think COVID was just kind of a, um, catalyst. a catalyst. Thank you. Uh, a catalyst for all of that. So um, I ended up dropping uh, my time with Sam um, and uh, stayed at home. And after about two months, got bored out of my mind. And then after six, nine months of being in lockdown and not being able to uh, wander past the 5k radius. It was uh, getting a little bit, a little bit uh, stuffy. Um, So I decided to uproot um, and move interstate. And a little family history, me and my brother, we haven't been in the same state or city or anything um, since I was uh, in primary school, I think um so when i said that or you know deliberate (laughs) (laughs) coincidental 100 coincidental um he he studied his undergraduate in adelaide and then he moved to sydney um and then i moved to adelaide and then uh for for undergraduate and when i came back to melbourne he ended up moving to adelaide um so we always kind of missed each other. There was never really any overlap. So when I told him that, I, you know, I'm planning to move interstate, the natural course of action for, for my brother was come here. We can finally be in the same state. And it's been lovely. The last two years, I, I've, I, you know, got to spend quality time with my nieces. And um, it's, it's just been super duper lovely. Um, so that's probably the main reason why I'm in SA. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or the main reason why I moved to SA. The main reason why I've stayed in SA is because I love my job. I really, really love the clinic that I work in. And um, uh, I've told Dustin, uh, the owner of the practice, uh, time and time again, um, the main reason why I, why I stay in Adelaide is, is to work here. Um, although if I could have things my way, I would 100% pick up the practice <laughs> with everyone in it, move it to Melbourne, and my life would be complete. <laughs> So, I mean, whilst we're on it, yeah. So what what compels you to stay, you know, in Adelaide? What about this practice? Because, you know, obviously listeners are probably wondering for themselves, like, you know, what's a great practice? What do you see so great in this practice? So I've experienced uh, mentorship on both ends of the spectrum. I've had uh, absolutely rubbish mentorship where um, I had a bloke sitting in the room, uh, sitting in the closet next to the uh, room of the dental chair. Um, and he'd just be playing on his phone all day. And this was uh, early on in my practice when what you you don't know what you don't know, right? So I'd, I'd walk past the closet, check in, check in on him every once in a while. And he'd look at me, do you have any questions for me? I'm like, I, I don't know. Would you like to have a look at the case? You'll be like, nah, you get okay. And that was it. That was that was the extent of the mentorship. So I've had that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I've had people like Sam Coe, who guide you through absolutely everything, identify your weakness and give you the best feedback for you. When I joined up with uh, Michael and Dustin, um, it was, a, we had very similar kind of uh, uh, clinical ethics and, um, Oh, expectations. Um, so in his practice, they don't use intraoral cameras. Everything is DSLR photography. Um, and every uh, DA is uh, trained to retract um, and to hold the mirror in the correct position and to use a uh, triplex to defog the mirrors. Every single person knows how to do that. And the workflow, it's absolutely flawless. Um, so that regardless of the angle or the space or how limited opening there is in the mouth, um, you can get beautiful shots with DSLR photography. Um, and again, he's got massive screens installed everywhere so that, again, we can throw up those photos and look at everything and discuss it all in person. Um, he has, you know, I've worked in practices where you're expected to do a comprehensive checkup in 20 to 30 minutes. And that works for most people. I'm not complaining about that. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work uh, for my style of dentistry, um, which is lots and lots of talking um, and minimal time in the mouth. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing lots of talking at the start, spending maybe five to 10 minutes in the mouth and lots of talking at the end, perfect. So for that, you need about an hour. And Dustin agrees with that. So that's so that was something that clicked for us. Um, there's a lot of dentists, uh, dental practices that are where the uh, clinic is geared towards uh, the the preferences of your principal dentist, um, which is it makes sense. They're the ones running the show. They own the clinic. Why wouldn't it be set up the way that they want to do dentistry? But the limitation to that is if you have an associate dentist they might not do the th do things the same way. And if you don't have a practice that's flexible enough to work with that, it can be a really, really hard time for associates. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin really understands that and has a lot of freedom with that. So he has just a whole bunch of tools that he doesn't use at all, but they're there um, for the associates to play with as much as they want. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.